You begin to, begin to do miracle after miracle after miracle. We thank you, Lord, for your hand being upon us tonight. We thank you for the word that you're giving us tonight. And we thank you, Lord, that as we praise you tonight, we will never leave this place the same as what we came. We thank you in advance for all that you're going to do in Jesus' precious name. And we all said, amen, amen. amen. Let's stand and worship together. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. I've seen many searching for answers far and wide. Only you provide Cause you know just what we need Before we say a word You're a good, good father It's who you are It's who you are It's who you are And I'm loved by you It's who I am It's who I am It's who I am Father, it's who you are, 
will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Is he faithful in your life? Is he a good God? Praise you, Lord. 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 Some people ask me when I come up to pray why I say praise you, Lord, so much. It's because I'm stirring the atmosphere. It's because I'm stirring the atmosphere with my praise, because I know that my God inhabits my praises, and I know that as I praise Him, mountains move. I know that as I praise Him, situations change. As I praise Him, mountains are going to move in your life as well. So I say it again, praise you, Lord, for you are worthy of our praise. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Mm, mm, mm. Praise you, Lord. Praise your holy name, Lord. Praise your holy name, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You may have come today bound. You may have come today with cares and worries. You may have come today with doubt. But as we praise God, those things have to move. Those things have to move. You see, we're good at praising him when, when things are going right. We're good at praising him when we see his goodness. But in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the trial, for some reason, we become silent. But that's when we need to praise him the most. Why do we need to praise him the most in that time frame? I'll tell you exactly why. Because when I lift my praises to God, I take my eyes off of my situation and I put my eyes on the answer. So it's time tonight you take your eyes off the situation and put it on God. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, Lord, and I just feel it so strong on my heart. Lord, we lift up our youth. 
we lift up those in the youth service, Lord. We lift up those leading the youth service, those guiding the youth service, Lord. We just ask that you use them in a mighty way. Touch them, Lord. Let your anointing flow in that place, Lord. I pray that if any had come tonight that don't know you, they will not leave this place till they know that they will spend eternity with you, Lord. I thank you for the miracles that are going to begin to happen in the youth, Lord. I thank you that you're going to use them, Lord, and we're going to see that light illuminate the schools, illuminate the cities, illuminate the towns around, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you will use our youth to start revival, and I praise you for that right now, Lord. I ask you, Lord, for miracles in this house tonight. I thank you, Lord, for absolute freedom and peace. I thank you for joy, unspeakable joy. I thank you, Lord, that mountains have moved and are continuing to move. Now, Lord, we come to you right now and we lift up our prayer request list to you right now, Lord. And you see every one of these needs on this list, Lord. And we thank you that you are a God who answers before we even ask, Lord. So we lift up every one of these prayer requests right now, Lord. If you're here in this place and you have a prayer need, you have a healing need in your life, I ask right now that you lift your hand up to heaven and God sees that. He sees your faith. He sees where you are, Lord. So we come to you right now, Lord, and we just ask that you begin to touch every name on this list, Lord. If they need salvation, Lord, we ask you to send laborers into their life. We ask you to send those who can tell them the truth, Lord. And Lord, we just ask right now for restoration in marriages. We ask for restorations in homes. We ask for children coming back to Jesus, grandchildren coming back to Jesus, Lord. Oh, Lord, we lift up each and every person on this list that needs a healing, and we declare a healing in Jesus' name because you are the great physician, because you are the healer, the miracle worker. And so we lift those up who need healing, and we declare healing in the name of Jesus. And we thank you and praise you, Lord. I just ask you right now, Lord, to see every hand that's lifted in this place. You know their need. You know their desire. You know exactly what they need before they've even asked. So Lord, we ask that you begin to move in their life, move in their house. Let them feel your presence. Let them feel your comfort. Let them feel your hand upon them, Lord. We thank you right now that you're beginning to change the situation in their life. We thank you, Lord, that we can praise you in the storm because we know that victory is coming. We thank you, Lord, right now that your hand is touching them, whether it's a healing, whether it's restoration, whether it's a miracle, whatever it is they need, Lord, we declare it done in the name of Jesus because it's been bought and paid for and sealed by the blood of Jesus. So we declare victory in the house tonight. We declare right now in the name of Jesus that we're not going to leave the same way we came, but we're going to walk out victorious. Even if we don't see it changing right now, that doesn't mean that he's not starting at the root. That doesn't mean that he's not moving. That doesn't mean that he's not touching the situation. So we declare right now miracle after miracle, Lord. And we will tell everyone of your goodness. We thank you and praise you for what you're doing in this house, Lord. We ask you to have your way today. And Lord, as we get ready for this message that you've given today, I ask, Lord, right now that your words are what are spoken, not mine. And Lord, I ask for ears to hear, but hearts to listen and receive. And Lord, I just ask right now that the Holy Spirit moves in this place. And I thank you, Lord, for transformation power. In Jesus' precious name, and we all said... Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. Turn around and tell somebody you're happy they're here. You done and did it again. You got me all fired up. It's your fault. We're going to get started tonight. We're going to touch on a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. 
We're going to touch on a subject that I touched just a little bit on on Sunday night, but we're going to really go a little deeper into it. And so as I began to study for this, as I began to really seek the Lord on what he had for this, I came across an article that said what the number one most shared Bible verse was this year. So if you pull up the Bible app, the number one most shared Bible verse this year was found in Isaiah chapter 41. Turn there with me if you will. Isaiah chapter 41, you all probably know this passage very well, but this is the number one shared verse for this year, or they say it is the verse of 2022. And it says these words, Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a powerful verse. Everything that's going on in the world today, everything that's going on across our own nation, what a powerful verse that we're sharing with one another. Listen, fear not. You see, I'm in the middle of, and most of you don't realize this, but I'm in the middle of writing a book on freedom from fear. And I thank the Lord that he's going to allow me to finish it here sometime shortly. And I'm excited about releasing it because people don't understand how real fear is. But they also don't understand how much bigger my God is. They don't understand the freedom that comes from serving God. They don't understand the freedom that the Bible gives us and teaches us and talks about. And so he says here, fear not. If the Bible says to fear not, that means that we are well able to fear. Has anyone here ever walked in fear? And I'm not talking about, oh, I just watched a scary movie fear. I'm talking about absolute crippling fear that limits you, that doesn't let you do what God wants you to do, that stops you from living out the fullness of the life he has for you. I'm talking about fear. You see, he talks about fear not. So if I can fear, you see, we have this philosophy, this thought process, and this is how it goes. Well, I gave my life to Jesus, so now I'll never fear again. And I want to just correct some wrong teaching there because here's the truth. The truth is just because you come to church, just because you gave your life to the Lord, just because you serve in some area doesn't mean that fear is not going to come to your house. Because it's going to try to come to your house. It's going to knock on your door. And it's your decision on whether you open that door or close that door. And some people say, well, this just can't be that. You just can't be real about that. There's so much more to it. But listen, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says about it. I'm going to tell you what it was that set me free. I'm going to tell you what it was that made it so I could leave the house. I touched on it just a little bit Sunday night, but it's such a sensitive area in my life. I said, Lord, are you sure you want me to teach on this? Are you sure you, I mean, let's talk about something that didn't affect me so much. But I mean, I was at the point as, and this is the hardest part for me, and I'm going to be real with you. Are you ready for this? In the middle of my battle with fear, I was pastoring a church. Well, that can't happen. You're a pastor. How can fear come to your house? Well, it did. In the middle of the battle, I was working at a fire station. I would be going into calls and I could do that just fine. But when I got home, my whole world would change. My wife would say, what's wrong with you? Why won't you get up and and get going and doing stuff? I'd say, no, I want to just sit here. Just sit in the house, lights off, don't bother me. I just want to be here by myself. It would get to the point where I would find myself in a ball on the living room floor thinking I was having a heart attack. I couldn't breathe. Man, it was so overwhelming and it was so real to me. And I grew up in a house in a generation where you didn't talk about that stuff. 
And so I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm a guy. I'm a big guy. I'm not going to tell anyone I'm dealing with this. And one day I had the opportunity, my wife and I were talking. She said, you know what? Let's see what the Bible has to say about this. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you're here and you're married and you have a wife, you are blessed. I mean, for real, my wife is amazing. She said, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. And I began to talk to my mom about it. And my mom said, listen, this is, let's go to these verses in the Bible. And she took me into some verses that I, I just, man, I'd read them time and time again. But all of a sudden they became real to me because I was in the middle of that battle. Because I was in the middle of that struggle. And, and I'm not going to touch on everything tonight, but I'll tell you right now, and I'm going to touch on it in the book when I write it, but one of the things that I didn't realize until I got set free from fear is the freedom and the silence are deafening. You see, I'd lived for years under absolute torment. You're never going to be good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough looking. You're never going to be able to amount to anything. You're just doing all these things wrong. And I constantly had this torment playing in my ears. And when I got completely set free from fear, now that doesn't mean it doesn't try to come to my house. That doesn't mean that it doesn't try to show up once in a while. But when I got set free from that, all of a sudden there was silence that I hadn't heard in years. And that silence was deafening. What do I do with it now? I actually got to a place in my life where I was like, I, I lived so long on fear, how do I function without it? I got to a place where I was actually scared to not be in fear because that was how I'd known to live my life. How do I change that? I fill the void with the word of God. I fill that void with the word of God. See, sometimes in the church we're real good at kicking out the lies of the enemy, but we don't put anything back in that space and he comes back. And then we say, what's happening? I don't understand why I'm not free. It's because we're not taking the time to fill the void with the truth of the gospel. Because it's the truth of the gospel that will set you free. So he said, fear not. I'm going to show you three things tonight. I'm hoping to be out of here by 11. Uh, So we'll see how it goes. But I want to show you three things tonight about fear. The number one thing I want you to see about fear is where did it come from? Where did it come from? See, a lot of us are confused on where fear even came from. And a lot of us actually have this thought process because we've been taught, and you can tell me later, but most of you have been taught that, well, fear is just normal, right? Just a normal part of life. Everyone has to live by fear. Everyone has to be controlled by fear. And then we even have another thought process that says, well, fear is a really good thing, actually. But we're going to talk about where did fear come from. We're going to talk about, number two, how does fear get in? You see, fear just can't come in unless we open a door. And so we're going to talk just a little bit, and it's going to be quick tonight, but we're going to talk about how does fear get in. And the third thing we're going to talk about is what is fear? What is fear? Are you good with that? Good thing, because we're doing it anyway. So go to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16 is where we're going to go. And we're going to begin to talk about a man. You all know him in the Bible. This is a man who loved God, who followed God. But we find him partway through the story falling into fear. And so we're going to give some backstory. We're going to look at a lot of verses today. So I hope you got your fingers warmed up for turning pages. We're going to look at a lot of verses. But I want to give you some backstory about a man named Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet of God, and at this time that we're going to look at, King Omri has just passed away. He's the king of Israel, and the Bible says he was actually not a good king. He did a lot of bad things, but when he passes away, King Ahab, his son, steps into the role of king. And we're going to see very quickly that the Bible says King Ahab did more wrong in the sight of God than anyone. 
I don't know about you, but if I want to be remembered for one thing, that's not it. I don't want people to say, man, that guy was terrible. I want to hear them say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Man, I saw Jesus every time I saw that guy walk in. But here's the truth. It says he did more wrong in the sight of God than anyone else. Is that a great place to be? Praise God. Are you there? First Kings 17 or 16. We're going to look at verse 30 through 33. Now Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son, that he took a wife, Jezebel. Now we don't think much about this, but as he took a wife, Jezebel, it says he went and served Baal and worshipped others. Now think about this for just a moment. You have this king that's just stepped into this role and he takes for himself a a Gentile wife, a pagan wife who serves pagan gods. Her father is known for this. He's known for all these idol worships and all of these different things. But he takes for himself this wife. Now here's a side note that's not included in here, but it's free and you don't have to pay me for it. It's great. Here's a side note. We have this philosophy in the church that I can marry anyone I want and I'll convert them once we're married. But here's the truth. The truth is, most of the time what happens is exactly what we see here. Now, there are some cases where we see people marry people who aren't in the church and they come to the church. But most of the time what happens is the unbelieving person persuades the believing person to, you don't need to go to church. You don't need to read that. You're fine. You don't need. And before we know it, we stop seeing them. We stop seeing them come to church. We stop seeing them be a part of things. And so you really have to think about it. The Bible's pretty serious when it talks about being unequally yoked. So if you're in the dating phase of your life, I want you to think about that because there's a lot to it. So here we find this king. He marries the woman that he shouldn't have married. And all of a sudden, all of this idol worship is beginning to come in. And he begins to build temples. He begins to build idols of worship that people can go and worship all of these pagan gods that are not the God. And because he's doing this, there's a whole lot of problems. You good with that so far? I mean, we've got a lot of trouble happening in one little place. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. And Elijah, the Tishbite, of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives. Now listen to this. You have a king, and many of us don't understand this, but back in the day, you couldn't just walk before a king. You couldn't just walk into the king's room and be like, hey, I'm going to talk to you. And actually, you'll find out Sunday, we're going to talk a little bit about Esther. But if the king didn't invite you, you could be put to death for showing up. And so he's going to go because, the, because God tells him, as a prophet, I want you to go. And so not only is he going to go, but he's about to give him a bad report. Now, see, a king loves it when the prophet comes and tells him how good he is. The king loves it when he tells him that the land is great and everything's wonderful. But when you give the king a bad report, you have to worry about leaving that place alive. That's the truth. And so here he comes, Elijah, and he says these words. As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now, I just want to clarify because many of you didn't hear that. I said these years. 
Not days, not hours, not weeks, not months, these years. So in other words, what he just told King Ahab is because of your sin, because of what you've done against God, there'll be no rain, there'll be no dew. What does that mean? That means there'll be drought. That means the vegetation will dry up. That means the animals have nothing to eat or drink so that all of their livestock is going to die for years, it says. Would you be bold enough to go tell somebody that? Would you be bold enough to walk in and say, hey, this is what the Lord told me. The truth is, and I'm just saying this out of love, the truth is most of us won't tell a coworker that we believe in Jesus because we're afraid of offending them or we're afraid that we won't get invited to the party next week. And because of that, we won't even tell them about Jesus. And here this man has to go before the king and say, you're about to lose it all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that takes boldness if you ask me. And so he walks in and tells the Lord this. And then it says, the Lord comes to him and says, get away from here. Go east to the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it'll be there that I shall provide for you drink. And it shall be there that I will command the ravens to bring you meat and bread in the morning and meat and bread in the night. Here's what we need to understand. When we rise up in boldness and we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and the utterance of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter what anyone else says about us. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about us because my God will provide. He's never failed me yet. And he says, listen, in the middle of this drought, they're about to lose everything, but you're going to be provided for. In the middle of the situation that we're in today, it doesn't matter. I can rise up in boldness and say, I know who my God is. And I know that in the middle of trial and struggle, I will be provided for. Because I have a covenant with God. So he says, go there and I'm going to make sure that you have food and that you have everything you want. That's a shouting point, wouldn't you think? All these people are suffering, going through it, and he's eating. Every morning, he doesn't have to worry about it. He wakes up, oh, more meat and bread. Every night before he goes to bed, more meat and bread. I'm going to go get a cold glass of water coming out of the brook here, and I'm going to have something to drink. And everyone else around him is, is in lack and in all of these problems, but he's being provided for because he's in covenant with God. Yes. You getting anything so far? And so he's excited, and everything's great until verse 7. And it says, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up. What do we do? What do we do at that moment? Here we are. We're being provided for. Everything we need is there. And all of a sudden, the brook dries up. I'll tell you what most of us do. And I'm saying this from my own experience. Most of us go, oh, no, we're in trouble. Oh, what am I going to do now? It was so good when it lasted. But now I don't know how I'm going to make it. We forget about God's goodness and his provision. But Elijah stays in faith. He's like, okay, so the brook dried up. God will give me something else. That's where we have to be. You see, we get so rooted in our source that my source is my job. My source is my retirement. My source are my stocks. My source is my car. My source is my whatever it is. We get all wrapped up. And when something happens to those sources, we forget about the goodness of God. He said, listen, I'll provide for you. So he tells him to rise up and go to Zarephath. Come on, y'all know this story. I told you I'm giving you a whole lot of backstory tonight. We're studying out a whole lot of stuff to get to a few little points. But he says, go to Zarephath, and there I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Now, here's what you have to understand is Zarephath at the time was a Gentile area. And so he goes to this widow, and he finds this widow who's not a believer, That's something you need to hear. You need to understand that. Write that in your notes tonight. He sends him to a widow in Zarephath that's not a believer. Why is that so important? Because my God can make a way for me anywhere. 
I don't have to worry about, well, who's he going to use? You see, what happens is I did this many times in my own life. I put God in a box and I say, God, you have to answer my need by this person, by this time, in this way, and I know it's going to come to pass. And God says, why put me in a box? Let me be God. I'll provide for you any way I want to provide for you. You just put your trust in me. I'll take care of you however you need to, but I'll just trust me. Now, listen, I'm not telling you to get into some illegal stuff. Don't come out of here and say, well, the minister said we can do what." That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying put your trust in God and let him be the provider. Stop telling God how to do it. You see, I spent so many years of my life advising God on what he should do in my life. And it got to a point where he said to me, how about you just let me be God and you be Dave? And I think that's a better plan. I think that's a better plan. So here we go. He's in Zarephath. And he says to the widow, we're in about verse 10, halfway down, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink it. And as she was going to get it, he called her and says, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, this is bold. There's a drought going on. All of these things are happening. He sees this poor widow in a town. She's going around picking up sticks to make a fire. And he says, hey, give me something to drink. You know what? And while you're at it, give me some food, too. But he knew what God had told him, and he knew that God had provided. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Great story, isn't it? I mean, what a powerful story. Here he comes to this woman. God said to provide for him. He says, get me some water and some food. And she looks at him and says, listen, all I got is just this little bit. And we're just going to try to get by with that until we die. Here's what I'll tell you. Without God, there's no hope. Without God, there's hopelessness. They found that she found herself in hopelessness. Why? Because without God, you can only do what you can do. You can only do what you can provide. You can only do what you can supply. But would you let God into your situation? He can change anything. And so he says to her, come on now, this is bold. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterwards make some for yourself. Think about the boldness of the statement. Like I think to myself, man, this would be a perfect tithe and offering message, wouldn't it? Bring us the first fruit and then let God feed you afterwards. Like what a powerful, maybe we should take an offering quick, right? I mean, think about it. But he says, why don't you bring me some first and then make some for yourself? Why? Because she's in hopelessness, but he knows who the provider is. And he's saying, listen, just just trust, just have faith. Go and make me some and go and make yourself some afterwards. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be dried up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. What did that mean? That means that his trust in God, his faith in God, his covenant with God was not only going to bless him, it was going to bless her for her obedience. She's not even a follower. She doesn't even believe. How do we know? Because she says, as the Lord your God, not my God, as the Lord your God lives. She's not a believer in God, but she's about to be blessed because she's willing to step out in faithfulness and do what she's been told to do. What that shows me is this. When I'm willing to live a right life and to glorify God, others will be blessed around me. You didn't catch that. He said he wants my cup to runneth over that I could be a blessing to others. 
So what happens? She goes and makes it, brings it to him. She makes some for herself. And the entire time, she never runs out of flour and water. She never has to worry about food. Every day she wakes up, there's more in the bin. Wakes up the next day, there's more in the bin. Wakes up the next day, there's more in the bin. Let me tell you this. This is a funny story, and you're going to say, oh, my goodness, here we go. When I went to Bible school, and I was just a college student who didn't have any money, I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me through this. Man, I went like three times longer than normal, and my shampoo would not run out. And I thought to myself, "Woo, come on, that bin of flour and that bin of, bin of oil ain't running out. My shampoo's not running. Shampoo's not cheap. When you're a college kid and you got to buy shampoo, it's not cheap. But man, God provided, and he provided, and he provided. And some of you say, that's such a silly story, and oh, that's so silly. But you know what? That's the kind of faith I have in my God. I believe that my God cares enough that he cares about how much shampoo I have in the shower. I believe that my God cares enough he cares about how many pairs of socks I have to cover my feet. And you say, well, that's so little and so trivial. You know what? My God cares that much. You don't believe me? Talk to him about it. Ask him to meet your need. So it comes to pass then that... God says to Elijah, I want you to go and talk to King Ahab again. Is that a place you want to go? I mean, you're being provided for. But no, God, I'll just stay right here. This is comfy. Whew. I got food. I got, I got a place to stay. I got everything I need. He says, I want you to go and talk to him. Chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Not three weeks, not three months, three years into this drought, he says to Elijah, go talk to the king. I don't know if you know this, but if there's a drought going on for three years and you told people it was going to happen, you're probably not going to be welcomed back into town. They're probably not going to have a parade for you. They're probably not going to sing praises as you come in. They're not going to get the marching band out. They're not going to want to see you. And you have to walk in this town thinking, I hope nobody knows me. I hope nobody sees me. I hope nobody sees me because you have to go meet with the king. And he goes before the king and he's telling him to get ready because God's about to send rain. And when he gets there, he has this bold moment. And I'm just going to give you my paraphrase of it because we don't have a lot of time tonight. But he sees that there's 450 prophets of Baal. And they're all doing Baal worship. And all these people are falling down. And there's 400 prophets of other, of other gods as well. And he says, you know what? Bring them all to one place. This is bold, right? And I'm leading this all up to one thing. So he says, just bring them all over. And he says, take three bowls or two bowls. You remember this story? And he says, cut one up, put it on an altar for them. Cut one up and put it over here. And whoever's God consumes it, let him be God. So here we have all of, all of the worshipers of Baal, and they're crying out to Baal. And the Bible says they're cutting themselves, and they're screaming, and they're hollering. And you have Elijah who's sitting there. He's the only believer in all of these prophets of Baal, and he's sitting there mocking them. <laughs> well, maybe Baal's tired. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's just, you know, he's probably got something else going on. I mean, he's literally, why? Because of his boldness and because of how he knows who he is in God. And so he begins to mock him. And then when the time comes, he says this, you know what? I got my bowl set up. I'm going to build an altar with 12 stones and I'm going to set it all right here. And I want you to fill up those four buckets of water. Bring them on over. Dump it on there. He says, go do it again. And go do it again. And so three times they dump the water till the water is running over and filling the trough around. Now not only is he asking God to consume this offering, but now it's drenched. And he calls down and he says, God, do it. God, do it. 
And the Bible says fire comes down from heaven, licks up all the water, consumes the entire sacrifice, and it is gone. And people begin to declare, God is God. I tell you that part for this reason. What would happen in our workplaces? What would happen in our schools? What would happen in our city if they began to see miracles of God happening? If they began to see the miracles of God happening in your life, when you have such boldness to say, you know what, I know that my God's a healer. I know that my God's a provider. I know that I can trust him and stand on what he has for me. I'm not going to waver. And when they begin to see the goodness of God, they have no choice but to declare God is God. So he goes through all of this, man of faith, man of boldness. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to give in to any of this. He goes through it all. Trusting God. And then, come on now, say, and then. Chapter 19. Chapter 19. I want you to see this for yourself. Verses 1 through 3. And Ahab told Jezebel, that's his wife, remember, all that Elijah had done, and also how he executed all the prophets by sword. Now, see, I didn't tell you that part, but after he was done saying God is God, he says, round up all the prophets of Baal and don't let one of them leave. And so every one of them was put down by the sword. And so he begins to tell Jezebel, listen, this is what he did. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Now, here is this man that has gone through all of these things. He boldly goes to the king and says, there's going to be a drought. He boldly rises up and goes to where he's supposed to be, and he's fed. And then he gets moved to the next place, and he's fed. And then he actually goes to Ahab, and all he sees is the cloud the size of a man's hand. But he says, get ready, because I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. And here comes this rain, and now rain is coming back. And all of these things are happening. He sees the 450 prophets of Baal wiped out. And one lady, come on, guys. One lady, I don't know about you, I'm going to be real for a minute. I I can be scared of my wife sometimes, okay? So here this one lady, I mean, don't tell her I said that, but she probably knows. But this one lady sends him a letter, and this is what her letter says, I'm going to take you out by tomorrow. And this man of God, prophet of God, who's been provided for, taken care of, and has boldness in front of 800 prophets plus, now is running for his life in fear. Think about this. One letter from one woman, and all of a sudden he forgot about God's provision. He forgot about God's protection. He forgot about how God defeated the prophets of Baal. He forgot about all of it, and now he's running in fear. So can it happen to you? It sure can. It sure can. So I want to examine this for just a couple minutes. You got a couple more minutes? I want to ask you this question, where does fear come from? Where does fear come from? Does anybody know? You see, when we talk about fear, people love to say this to me. Well, the Bible says that we are supposed to fear God. And it does say that. But when it's talking about fearing God, it's talking about having a reverence or respect. It's, happen- it's talking about being in awe of who he is. And I, re- I reverence him and I, and I bow down in respect before him because he's worthy of it. That's the kind of fear it's talking about. But I'm talking about the fear that we face on a daily basis. Where does fear come from? Genesis chapter 3. 
Let me just read it to you. Verses 7 through 10. Write it down. You can look for yourself later. We know what's just happened, right? The fall of man has just happened. They've given in. They ate the apple. And I mean, listen, so Eve takes a bite of the apple and she looks at her husband and says, you should take a bite of this. And he has to contemplate in his mind, do I deal with her for the next hundred years or do I deal with God? And so he takes a bite. He says, I'll just deal with God. It's easier. I got to go home after this. Oh my goodness, I heard a joke one time. Okay, this is, this is for you. I heard a joke one time that, that, you know, Adam is standing with Cain and Abel on the side of the bank and they're looking over at the garden and his kids look at him and say, Dad, that place is beautiful. And he says, I know we used to live there till your mother ate us out of house and home. Chris, okay, we'll move back into the story. And so anyway, so now here they are and, and, and they're looking at, in this situation. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. Now, they've been naked the whole time. What he's talking about here, when you break it down in the original writings, is for the first time in their life, they felt the shame of sin. Yeah. All of a sudden, they felt this nakedness because we're covered in shame because we've just done something we shouldn't. It's something they didn't even understand. And so now, all of a sudden, their eyes are open to this situation. And so they did exactly what every one of us as believers does. They took fig leaves and tried to make their own way. How many of us do that? I've done that time and time again. I'll try to make my own way. And then when my own way doesn't work out, then I'll turn to God. Sure. And so they begin to sow fig leaves and make it for themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. Now remember, God used to come and fellowship with them all the time. And so now here God comes to the garden to fellowship with them. And they begin to hear it. And the Bible says they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Why? Because they're so overcome with shame. They're so overcome with guilt of what they've just done. And so I heard a voice in the garden. Oh, excuse me, verse 9. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? I love that passage. And I can't give you study for this, but this is really my belief, my feelings is, do you believe for one minute God didn't know where they were? God knew the number of hairs on their head. He created them. He knew exactly how to, I mean, he took care of everything. He knew exactly where they were. I believe verse 9, he was giving them an opportunity to come to him. He was giving them an opportunity to be like, man, we screwed up. We messed up. And he says, where are you? He knows exactly where they are. In verse 10, he says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. You see, fear never came in before the fall of man. And if fear didn't come in before the fall of man, then I have to say that fear is not from God. Fear came with sin. It came with death. It came with sickness. It came with all of those other things. Fear entered in. He said, I heard you and I was afraid. Where does fear come from? It doesn't come from God. And if it doesn't come from God, I don't have to receive it. If it doesn't come from God, I don't have to let it into my house. So where, where did fear come from? Fear came from the fall of man. You good with that so far? But how does it get into me? But how does it get into me? It gets into me the same way it got into Elijah. And that starts with a thought. Got quiet in here all of a sudden. It starts with a thought. 
Listen, the same thing happens for those who are committing sins every day. It starts with a thought. I can tell you this right now. There's not a person out there that robbed a bank that hadn't contemplated on it for days before, that hadn't thought about it, that hadn't thought about how much better my life's going to be when I do this, that hadn't thought about, man, I could do this. Think about when they were in the garden and the serpent comes and says, you really think you're going to die if you eat that? Started with a thought. And she contemplated that thought. You're right. God's not going to really kill me on this, right? He's just trying to take away something that's fun. That's another thing the enemy loves to convince you of, doesn't it? But he, he really gets in with those thoughts, and it's our responsibility to take every thought into captivity. That's what the Bible says. Does that thought line up with the Word of God? If it doesn't, it can't stay. But what happens is it gets in, and we let it root. And then we contemplate on it, and it begins to whisper in our ear, you're never going to make it. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to see a way out of this. You're never going to overcome this. This sickness is too much for you. All of these things are too much for you. This thought process begins to take over and consume our lives. Why? Because of an uncontrolled thought life. Come on now, don't shoot me down for preaching good. Because we allow these thoughts to fester, they grow. And they grow. And they grow. And they grow. And I think about when I first got into fear, the little things that would send me into a panic. Little things. Really? That's what caused me to get into a panic? That's the problem it caused me? Man, I'm suffering with all of these things when I should have just stopped it when it started. Right. Now, I'm not saying if you're here right now and you're, you're in fear and you're battling fear and you're bound by fear. Listen, I'm telling you, there's a way out. And his name is Jesus. There's a way out, and he paid the price for you 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary when he stretched out his arms and died for you, and he signed for that freedom in the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says they shall know the truth, and the truth will set them free. Did you hear that part? They said you'll know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. There is freedom. Don't ever let anyone tell you, well, it's just something we have to do. It's just my cross to bear. There is freedom, and it's been purchased. It's been purchased purchased. What is fear? I'm glad you asked. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I used to quote this scripture on a daily basis. Every time that something would try to rise in me, I would quote this scripture. And every time something would try to come back, I would quote this scripture. And I'm telling you right now, this scripture, I must have read it, I don't know how many times, but it came so real to me. And I said, man, this has got so much to it that we're missing. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You need this. Listen now. For God has not given us. Come on now. I just told you that it's not from God. So I'm just confirming here. It says by the mouth of two or three witnesses. So I'm confirming to you right here. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen. What is fear? Fear is a spirit. Whew. Don't get mad at me. You don't, don't yell at me. You can email me if you want. I don't have an email yet, but you can email me if you want. If you need my email, I'll make one up for you. But here's the deal. You can, you can look at it for yourself. It says that God has not given me the spirit of fear. So if there's a spirit of fear, then I can choose to walk in that spirit of fear, or I can choose to walk in the spirit of faith. And I'm going to choose to walk in the spirit of faith because it was purchased for me. I can rise up in the truth of what the Bible says. It says, for God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Come on now. Listen, if you're here tonight and you're not walking in power, you can be. 
If you're here tonight and you're not walking in love, you can be. If you're here tonight and you're not walking in a sound mind, you can be. There's freedom. And whenever this would try to rise up inside of me, I would have to declare, God did not give me this spirit and I don't have to receive it. God did not give me this spirit and I don't have to receive it. God did not give me this spirit and I don't have to receive it. And I began to have to claim that over my own life with my mouth out loud. Why? Because I wanted the enemy to know that I had freedom in Jesus' name. So where does it come from? It comes from the enemy. Do we have freedom? We do. How do we get that freedom? It starts by rebuking what's there. You got to go. We got to get that out and say, listen, I'm not going to ponder on that anymore. I'm not going to think on that anymore. I'm not going to let this word stay in my mind, but I rebuke you out of my life in the name of Jesus. And when you speak the name of Jesus, every knee has to bow, which means the lies of the enemy have to go. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Get out. But then we don't leave the house open for them to come back, do we? We get in this word and we begin to fill it with the truth. What does the Bible say about me? The Bible says I am free. The Bible says I've been purchased. The Bible says I am more than a conqueror. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Bible says that I can have power, love, and a sound mind. The Bible says there is no end to the possibilities with God. I can do what he says I can do. I can have what he says I can have. And I'm not going to walk in the lies of the enemy any longer. It's time we begin to speak that truth. It's time we begin to tell the devil he's got to go. And it's time we get our thought lives under control and say, listen, I'm not giving in to this anymore. I'm walking in the freedom that was purchased for me. There's freedom from fear. And guess what? It's okay to tell somebody I'm battling fear, but I know I got the victory because Jesus is more than my fear. Jesus is more than my situation. It's okay to ask somebody to pray with you, but you better find somebody that's going to stand in faith with you, not somebody that's going to tell their neighbor about what you said. Come on, now I'm shaking some prayer chains in the church. We need to get to a point where we tell somebody we're going to pray for them, we actually pray for them. We need to get to a point where we say, hey, you know what, I want to stand in faith with you. And that means I'm going to be in the middle of the problem with you. I'm going to be in the middle of the situation with you. And I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to hold your arms up and I'm going to see the goodness of God in your life. That's what we need in the church today. We need brothers and sisters to be brothers and sisters. The world's got enough gossipers. We don't need it in the church. But we need those who are going to love one another, pray for one another, hold one another up, be accountable for one another, and say, you know what? I'll be there when you need me. We'll see freedom move. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just come to you tonight, and I just thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, I just scratched the surface of this topic. There's so much more you want us to know. There's so much more about the freedom that we have, Lord. Lord, I thank you tonight that if there's anyone here that's battling fear, they they understand tonight that they don't have to. They don't have to walk in that. They don't have to receive that. I thank you, Lord, they know tonight that there is freedom and it's been paid for already. Lord, I thank you they'll find somebody else in this room today that'll hold their hands up that'll stand beside them, that will pray for them and believe with them. And Lord, my prayer right now is if there's anybody here tonight that's never received you as their Lord and Savior. You know, they heard this message and maybe they're here and they say, I need that freedom, but I don't know that Jesus. I don't know the one that paid the price for me. That's you anywhere in this room. I'm going to ask you to do something. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to ask you to just hold your hand up right where you are. 
anywhere in this room. You say, but what if somebody sees me? This is the promise I'll make to you. If somebody sees you, lift your hand. They won't say a word. They'll rejoice with you. See, the Bible says you must be born again. There is no other way to heaven. So if you're here right now anywhere in this place, or maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I served Jesus for many years of my life, but I've really just been living my own, doing my own thing, stuck in a rut, going my own direction, and I want to rededicate my life. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up. Don't worry about anyone seeing you. If they see you, you tell them you're supposed to have your head bowed and your eye closed anyways. And the third invitation I want to ask, and I'm not going to ask you to come forward on this. I'm just going to ask you to be real that I can pray with you here right now. But maybe you're here and you say, you know what, my life's run by fear. I'm bound by fear. I'm bound by anxiety. And I just, I need someone to pray with me. I need someone to just put their hand out and and just speak the truth over me. That's you. I want you to lift your hand as well. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and we just thank you. We thank you that you paid the price for us so many years ago. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to walk in the same kind of fear the world walks in. We don't have to walk in the same kind of hopelessness the world walks in, but we can walk in absolute freedom. We can walk with a hope because we have Jesus. We can walk in peace when the world's in turmoil. We can walk in joy when the world's a mess because we have Jesus. So, Lord, I just ask right now all over this place, Lord, you know their hearts. You know those who needed it, Lord. And I thank you right now your hand is upon them, that you are touching them that the spirit of fear has to go because it has to give way to the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, right now for freedom like they've never felt before. I thank you, Lord, for for silence like they've never heard before, Lord. But, Lord, I thank you most of all that they will leave this place and they will get into your word. They will study your word. They will get your word inside of them so there's no vacancy when the enemy returns. Lord, I thank you for your freedom, for your joy, for your peace. And Heavenly Father, I thank you most of all for Jesus. That when I was yet still a sinner, he gave his life for me. That I could walk in this freedom. That I could walk in the newness of life that I have. That I could walk in the righteousness that was purchased for me. I thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' precious name, and we all said... Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. We love you. Walk in the freedom that was purchased for you. Amen. Just lay your